0: all right so here's to hoping that the whole note-taking thing doesn't become a tradition on the Wyoming agriculture podcast however here's a quick note before the show Uh, i just wanted to apologize about the late upload this is barely going to make it out before midnight things just didn't go as planned in the future i'll be looking at some automation techniques such as i use for the blog where i write the blog uh, the day before and schedule Uh, Hopefully, I can figure something out that's pretty convenient for the podcast that does the same thing, and that will definitely solve this issue of the 1148 and later episode. Anyway, enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast, brought to you by Farmer Devin of Cackleberry Farming Garden. Now, as this podcast progresses, we will have some guests on the show. We're eventually going to be interviewing some local producers, such as Prairie acts. I'm hoping to get some dairy producers on here. I'd like to eventually get some big grain producers and some of our larger beef cattle ranchers in the state. Really run the gamut of uh, operations here in Wyoming. However, today, I just wanted to bring you a quick show with some history and factoids surrounding agriculture in Wyoming. Some of these things you may already know or not feel in any way surprised with. There are some other things that I'm hoping will be news to you or perhaps spike some intrigue and interest. I gathered most of this information with a quick research trip across the Googleverse, pulling some general information from state and federal websites and compiling it in my notes for the show. Now, I'm going to share some of those websites in the show notes, so be sure to check those out if you're interested in some of this and want to read more for yourself. Now, the goal of this episode isn't to bore you with dry information, but instead it should give you some idea of land history and what the land might need in terms of healing, as well as giving you some perspective into crops and enterprises that historically have done well here. Or maybe just tipping a hat at something that might work well here in the future. Before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode brought to you by Cackleberry Farm and Garden, bringing fresh, nutritive foods to the greater Casper area since 2016. Proud to be uncertified, unregulated, and inspected by customers, not by bureaucrats. Find fresh-cut microgreens, grass-fed lamb, and more at CackleberryFG.com. That's Cackleberry, C-A-C-K-L-E-B-E-R-R-Y-F-G, as in Flaming Gorge, Alright, moving on to the show here. Some historical context is always important when considering land use, and any agricultural enterprise will benefit from this historical context. For instance, if you are looking to do an all-organic super fancy veggie operation, you might want to know if the land you're about to farm was previously used as a storage lot for broken down vehicles, or perhaps heavy metals such as lead, cadmium, etc. So, for agricultural history of the land that is now the state of Wyoming, let's go into past. Now, there is evidence of more than 12,000 years of prehistoric occupation in Wyoming. Prehistoric, of course, meaning before written history. There's obviously people well before writing. Among these groups, the Clovis occupied Wyoming about 12,000 years ago, the Folsom, 10,000 years ago, and Eden Valley, about 8,000 years ago. The latter were the big game hunters of the early period. Following these groups, and remaining until about 500 AD, were many groups with a mixed hunting and gathering economy. After that, the predecessors of the historic Indians, or Native Americans. A hint at Wyoming's historical occupation is the mysterious Medicine Wheel, about 40 miles east of level. Now, I remember taking a summer road trip up to the Medicine Wheel once upon a time, with my father, my stepmother, and my step-siblings at the time. We were just kind of taking a day trip, trying to get out of the house. One thing that I remember, besides the rocks being laid out such as they are, is how chilly, cold, and windy the location was. It was very exposed, kind of the top of a hill almost. And I still vividly remember that chill. It made me a little bit cold thinking about it as I wrote the show notes this morning. Uh, Just some little info on the Medicine Well. The Medicine Well has 28 spokes and a circumference of 245 feet, and it is an ancient shrine built by the hands of a forgotten tribe. It is purported that a Crow chief once said, It was built before the light came by people who had no iron. This prehistoric relic remains to this day one of Wyoming's unsolved puzzles. Southwest of Lusk, covering an area of approximately 400 square miles, are the remains of a bunch of prehistoric stone quarries, known as the Spanish diggings. There is evidence that this area has been mined by many prehistoric groups at different times. Some of the minerals found here were quartzite, jasper, and agate. And there's artifacts from this mining site that have been found as far away as the ohio and mississippi valleys that's just a little interesting to think about some of the prehistorical context here old mines some forgotten tribe leaving behind a shrine that for my knowledge we still haven't figured out the use of or the point of Certainly, evidence that people have been here in Wyoming for a very long time, and that it is, though inhospitable at times, always housed people, and people have been figuring out how to live here for quite some time. Now, some of those people are more often thought of in today's day and age, and that is, of course, the historical Native American tribes. Now these tribes in Wyoming were known as the Plains Indians. They were the Arapaho, the Arikara, the Bannock, the Blackfeet, the Cheyenne, the Crow, the Gros Ventre, the Kiowa, the Nez Perce, the Sheep Eater, the Sioux, the Shoshone, and the Ute tribes. I. I've heard of some of these tribes before, certainly not all of them. Some are definitely more popular than others. Now, of all these tribes, the Cheyenne and the Sioux were the last of the Indians to be controlled and placed on reservations. That uh, word controlled there definitely leads one to think about some of the dark history of Wyoming and really the settling of the West as a whole try not to imagine what it must have been like to be part of those tribes that were being controlled. The end of freedom it must have spelled for them. Now, a few of the things that I do know about some of these tribes can lend a hand in thinking about agriculture today. More than once I've grown a variety of sunflower, a jumbo seed sunflower, known as Arikara. So the presence of that tribe along with the oft-observed sunflower, tells me that our climate is likely conducive to growing sunflowers and perhaps other Helianthus species, such as sunchokes. I do believe the Arecora grew some dry beans as well. Now, I've heard of the Bannock, but only lightly, and the Blackfeet, those I've heard of and know a little bit about. Now I know from historical writings that the Blackfeet were known as predominantly or wholly meat-eaters, with stories of this tribe surviving healthily in the land on meat alone, while the white settlers were becoming sick and weakened on the meat-only diet. Now one of the journals of some of these settlers recounts an observation of a Blackfoot tribe taking down a buffalo, and eating every part of the animal, and the children absolutely relished the intestines being fried and dipped in bile, eating them as if they were candy. It is rather ironic that, as the whites squirmed at such a notion, they were dying of malnutrition. Sheep-eater, though I've never heard of this tribe, kind of explains itself. They ate sheep, more than likely. Sheep probably have a long history of use here in this state. So just from this short list of tribes, we can gather that rotationally grazed sheep, bison, cattle, and other herbivores will likely be good enterprises here. We can also know that certain areas of the state will likely grow sunflower and dry beans quite well. So a little bit of historical context there that can help you determine what you would look like to do with your property now today there is one indian reservation in wyoming the wind river reservation with headquarters at fort washakie the reservation totals one million eight hundred and eighty eight thousand three hundred and thirty four acres of land based within the borders of the state of wyoming now interestingly i found that Sacagawea and chief washakie are both buried within this reservation Now, what brought the white people to Wyoming? Well, some of the first settlers in Wyoming were driven here by the European market for beaver top hats. So thank you, gentlemen of Europe. Sending trappers into the Rocky Mountains, famous mountain men such as Kit Carson, Jim Bridger, Davy Jackson, and Jedediah Smith were among some of the first trappers, explorers, and traders to roam the Wyoming territory. Wyoming was the scene of the end The great Indian battles, with Fort Phil Kearney in northern Wyoming boasting the bloodiest history of any fort in the west. Thousands of well-organized Indians from the Cheyenne, Arapaho, and Sioux tribes fought battle after battle with the U.S. cavalry here. Great herds of bison, also once grazed, the rolling hills of Wyoming, trampling grass, shrub, and brush and driving the ever-important carbon cycle that created the deep topsoils of the plains. There is also a history of highways and railways in Wyoming, as trappers and mountain men worked the hills for a living and needed to move product, as hunters extracted bison, elk, and deer, and as Mormons and other pioneers hiked and hauled hand carts west in search of a better life. With this travel comes the introduction of new species, the formation of ruts and erosion routes. And the arrival of a new people to the land. Another thing we can learn from this, I've often heard it described that the Battle of Gettysburg left a permanent mark on the land and to this day you can tell there's greater fertility in that area. So perhaps those of you in Northern Wyoming have some evidence of these battles feeding your grass to this day. It's a little macabre to think about, but certainly has some impact. Now moving on to some of the little tidbits that I've found on Wyoming in regards to agriculture. Wyoming is home to over 11,000 farms, averaging 2,600 acres apiece. These farms take up 30 million acres of farmland in Wyoming and put millions of dollars into the economy every year. Over 38 regularly scheduled farmers markets exist around the state, giving farmers and consumers plentiful opportunity to interact. Along with that, there is a growing movement of communities, restaurants, breweries and distilleries that are committed to farm to fork and grain to bottle production models. There's also a little bit of a history of development in the agriculture world in Wyoming. A lot of this taking place in Laramie. For instance, Bright Agrotech was once a startup in Laramie. They developed vertical farming technology, which has certainly made an impact on agriculture today. And this is similar technology to what is now used at Vertical Harvest, the well known and tourist friendly farm of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. There was also a breed of sheep developed in Laramie in the beginning of nineteen twelve breed known as Columbia. Now, shortly thereafter, Columbia was moved to Idaho for further breeding work in 1918. But it is interesting to note that there is a breed of sheep specifically bred for rangeland of the Mountain West right here in Wyoming. Now, it probably won't surprise you if you spent any time in Wyoming that beef cattle is the largest sector of Wyoming agriculture. In 2008, Cattle producers brought in more than $500 million in production value for the beef commodity. Other commodities include hay, barley, wheat, corn, and sheep. Sugar beets, hogs, horses, and honeybees are also common. Wyoming agriculture is one of the top three industries in the state, with nearly $2 billion annual cash receipts, according to the U.S. DUH. Wyoming cattle industry dates back to the mid-1800s when settlers began crossing and settling the west. Cattlemen have clearly been here since before the state of Wyoming was created and joined the old US of A. The National Agricultural Statistics Service began publishing cattle estimates in 1867. After the Civil War, cattle ranching became one of the most prominent businesses and Cheyenne became a world trade center for cattle. For years, Wyoming range cattle have commanded top market value. The High Plains and Mountain Meadows of Wyoming, besides producing high-quality cattle, are also well known for producing some of the finest sheep and wool in the world. A quick note from Devin here, something that I've learned from Ben Falk, and some of my other studies in agriculture. Uh, Ben talks in his book, The Resilient Farm and Homestead, which I'll link to here in the show notes, uh, about a a historical analysis he did of his property. He was speaking of Vermont and how, when settled, it was clear-cut for timber and then grazed heavily by sheep so that they could sell wool. And then the economy for this wool crashed as these grazers demineralized the soils of Vermont and destroyed the precious resource that was their topsoil, thereby creating a severe lack of pasture to graze their sheep on. And he talks about how selling and shipping off wool and vegetables is essentially mining your minerals and how selling fat and meat and milk mines rather than minerals your quick cycling nutrients such as nitrogen etc long story short um he was essentially saying that if you want to destroy your land then you sell off your your wool and veggies and if you want to build it then you sell off your fat and your meat anyway Uh, This piece of history definitely tells us that Wyoming has likely been demineralizing its soils for quite some time. And this is further backed up by Wyoming's rank as second in the U.S. for wool production and lamb crop. Wyoming wool is known as some of the finest and most desirable produced in the U.S., fetching some of the highest prices year in and year out. Our pasture and hay are regarded as the highest quality anywhere. Wyoming hay is known for high protein, leafiness, and excellent feed value, and is shipped throughout the United States and the world for horse and dairy feed. The fertile river bottoms produce outstanding crops of sugar beets, dry edible beans, barley and corn. Dryland winter wheat is also grown, primarily in the east on the high plains are another common crop throughout the state. Some more specialized commodities include hogs, bison, and sunflowers. And of course, we know there is much, much more in terms of diversity, with producers raising veggies, fruits, herbs, and more all across the state. So there is a ten Commodity crops that take the cake as the top ten produced in Wyoming. And I'm going to go ahead and list those off before we move on here. Cattle and calves, unsurprisingly, comes in at number one with $1.16 billion in cash receipts, according to the USDA, in 2015. Hay is a close, well, far second, at $143 million with an M hogs at 56.4 million, sugar beets at 40.3 million, barley at 38.8 million, chicken eggs at 32.7 million, corn at 28.4 million, dairy products at 24.5 million, dry beans at 22.4 million, and coming in at number 10, wheat at 18.5 million. So there you have it, a little bit of historical context before we delve into today's producers and agricultural world in future episodes. If you have some other historical context that you'd like to share or something about today's episode that you found interesting, feel free to let me know via direct contact or you can comment on the episode page on CastBox. With that, Let's get into the Farmer's Joke of the Day. There once was a farmer with a nagging wife. She nagged him constantly, such that the only peace he could acquire was when he took his old mule out to plow the field. Thus the old farmer could be seen out plowing his field more often than most. One day, while out plowing the field, the farmer's wife brought him some lunch. So he parked the mule under the nearby shade tree and accepted the lunch. As he began to quietly eat his meal, his wife began to nag once again. Nag, nag, nag. Suddenly, while she berated him, his old mule lifted both legs and kicked her right in the back of the head, killing her instantly. At the funeral, the priest noticed from a distance that as the woman of the town approached the farmer to offer their sympathy, the farmer would nod his head in agreement, thanking them as they went on. However. When the men approached, the farmer would shake his head from side to side. As the mourners left, the priest approached the farmer and asked, Why did you nod your head up and down to all the women and shake it from side to side for all the men? Well, the farmer replied, the woman all said how nice she looked and how pretty her dress was, so I agreed by nodding my head up and down. And all the men asked, Is the mule for sale? (laughs) <laughs> well, hot ah, damn. I sure hope you enjoy these jokes just as much as I do. Now, for the question section of today's episode, I'd like to turn the questions to you, the audience. What is the one thing you think would benefit agriculture in Wyoming the most? What kind of guests would you like to see on the show? Are you a farmer or rancher in the state, or do you work directly with Wyoming agriculture in some way? If so, would you like to be a guest on this show? If you or someone you know would like to get on the show, you can do so by going to the website at cackleberryfg.wixsite.com slash That's cackleberry, spelled as before, f-g, also spelled as before, dot wixsite, w-i-x-s-i-t-e, dot com. Forward slash YOAG, W-Y-O-A-G, all lowercase. Now that Wix site will come out of that URL eventually, but for now, that's the website. Now, if you go to that website and you fill out the form at the bottom of the page, in the comments section, just go ahead and give me a brief description of your operation so I know how to formulate the questions around your business. As the show grows and I become more comfortable and adept behind the mic, I will be adding ways to monetize the show beyond the existing options. One way this might be achieved is through sponsorship. And I think that there could be some rather fitting sponsorship opportunities with businesses that are in and directly serve the agricultural community in the state of Wyoming. Now, if you are interested in becoming a sponsor and would like to take advantage of an early bird opportunity, contact me directly via email at cackleberry.fg at gmail.com, Again, that's cackleberry.fg at gmail.com about your proposal. And with that, I'd like to thank you for listening to another episode of the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes wherever you listen. And if you'd like to support the show today, you can do so via direct donation on the website. I will link to the podcast webpage in the show notes, of course you can also support this show by visiting one of our merch stores at Zazzle or Redbubble. I'll link to these options in the show notes as well. Thanks again for your support of the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. Now go on and grow on.